Hello, First Family. Pastor Zach here. We will be doing something a little different this week. Instead of a sermon, we will be doing a conversational-style podcast. This will feature Pastor John and myself in my office with some microphones. We're excited to try it out, and if you can, let us know what you think. All right, let's get started. Welcome to the OKC First Podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. My name is Pastor Zach Lucero, and I am the youth and creative pastor, and sitting across from me is John Middendorf, the senior pastor at OKC First. Hi, John. Hello, Zach. Well, it's good to be here sitting in my office right now. <laughs> Always good to see you in your office. Yeah, you look very comfy today. <laughs> thank you, thank you. If you. For podcast listeners who can't see right now, John is wearing a full suit. Yeah. That's actually not a lie. Like, right. that's true. Well, I have an important conference call later, so. <laughs> <laughs> don't you hear how good I sound right now? Or look? Wow. Don't you hear how good I look? That's a better way to say that. I'll edit that out. Um, so we've never done anything like this before, so we have absolutely no idea what we're doing or right. what's about to happen. Um, right. I have a rough outline, but that's about it. Okay. So me too. Mostly we just hope it's not terrible. Sounds so. like Sunday morning to me. <laughs> so, so if it's terrible, don't tell us, but if it's awesome, let us know. Uh, okay. let us know what you like, what you don't like. If you want us to do it again, maybe who knows? Are you talking to me? I'm talking to <laughs> anybody who's listening. Okay. All right. I'm sort of staring at a wall. Right okay. Now. Uh, yeah. So. Let's start off by talking about the theme for Easter. For, for those who maybe weren't there on Easter Sunday to kind of hear the intro of the theme, talk to us about Book of Renovation. For anyone who doesn't know, um, I know for sure that you have a healthy obsession with a certain TV network that sort of inspired this theme. So if you can maybe start there and then okay. kind of work your way into the Easter theme. Okay. Yeah, so each of my kids has had... Uh, an injury within the last oh, 12 months or so that has required some rehabilitation. And so I guess you could say that the, that, that this whole uh, preoccupation I have with renovation perhaps starts with rehabilitation. Uh, I, I got to drive my kids when they couldn't drive. I, I drove my kids, each of them to their um, therapist's, uh, and while there, not only did I get to watch them struggle and yet improve and, and heal, but I was able to watch so many other people in that same process. There was rehabilitation taking place, and that started to kind of fire my preaching and my Christian imagination that there is so much about the Christian life that is about the slow process of rehabilitation and showing up and putting in the work and sure God does what God does, but, but we, we are partners in that process, uh, at some level. It's what we believe as Wesleyans at least at my son's, uh, physical therapist office, there are TVs everywhere, TV screens everywhere. But, uh, and a friend of mine runs that particular clinic and, she explained to me that there could only be one of two stations on all of the TVs, a local news station and then the DIY network <laughs> because all of the other stations would be for some reason or another controversial. And so they don't need that in their rehabilitation process. And so that's where I 
I started here, at least most recently, watching some of these DIY shows. Love it or list it. Um, trading spaces. Um, rehab addict. And uh, I just slowly but surely, I, I started to see something else that fired my preaching imagination and my Christian imagination. That there is, there is a lot of renovating that happens when we are Christians. And and yes, I, I mean that about the person. Sometimes we as persons need renovating. But I also mean that beyond us as individual people. We, we Christians are armed with this resurrection resource. And with it, God seeks to work in and through us um, to renovate and restore circumstances and whole households and neighborhoods and the streets uh, so all of that, you know, again, just, just kept, I was just inundated with all of those images week by week, sometimes twice a week. And, and coupled with my love for the book of Revelation, which does have to do, just despite what so many of us have heard about the book of Revelation from various voices along the way, um, the book of Revelation does have so much to do with how God intends to restore via the leadership of the always-being-slaughtered lamb, (laughs) God has in mind that God would restore and renovate all of creation. And so it made perfect sense, since the lectionary hands me these texts uh, for the Easter season from the book of Revelation, it it made all kinds of sense to do a series called the Book of Renovation, where I could then try to capture uh, for our people, but for myself as well, Again, uh, at least some sort of an, an image, an inspiration, I guess, for what it is that we can do and what we can be and how we can be involved in what it is that God is doing. Man, I love that. I love it. I think I think for right here would be a great time to read through the passage for this week. Uh, you, We didn't get a chance to hear you preach a full sermon because we had the children's musical, which was awesome. I thought I thought they did a great yeah, job. Great. And, and later we'll talk about um, you had a little, uh, what do you call them, homilites? It was a short homily, which we like to refer to as a homilite. Right, right. So you got that. We just didn't get a good, we didn't get a recording of that. So that's sort of the reason why we're here. And so okay. but let's let's read through the passage, which is Revelation five eleven through fourteen. Sure. Yeah. So then, then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing, To the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Yeah, it's great. So, Beautiful. so let's let's look at context uh, as we as we dive in into this particular piece of scripture. Help give us an idea of what's happening. Okay. Well, we're still relatively early in the book, so I I think I want to take us from the the jump from Do the get go. So, um, John the Revelator, not not to be confused with the Apostle John. It's a different John is 
he has been banished to the island of Patmos. Because he is a believer, it, it seems to be that the Roman Empire has seen fit to banish this dangerous voice that would dare to um, acknowledge a king other than the Roman emperor. And so he is trying his best to worship while suffering this banishment, and who shows up but the resurrected Jesus. And so chapter 1, and now keep in mind that the book of Revelation being apocalyptic literature is not uh, is incredi- it is incredibly artistic and it is image rich and there is so much art uh, and artwork to it. Um, I think sometimes we miss the beauty of that art and all of the imagery that we have in the book of Revelation. We when we try so hard to read it with a calculator in hand and with all of these scientific instruments in hand, you, the scientists will struggle with the book of Revelation because it speaks in the language of art. And so you have, in chapter 1, the resurrected Jesus in all of his glory showing up to confront John on this moment of worship, not because the resurrected Jesus is so much angry with John, but it does seem that the resurrected Jesus is somewhat angry with the church, um, who is not acting as if, and at least in many cases, is not acting as if the resurrection ever happened. Christ shows up to say, hey, someone bigger than Caesar is here. Someone more worthy than Caesar is here. We have won a decided, decisive battle. Why don't we, the church, the body of Christ, why don't we start acting like it? And so that's chapter one. And, and uh, we also have this announcement in chapter one that there is now going to be a message for these seven churches scattered throughout the region. And seven, we know given the rest of the book, is is a symbolic number, meaning all of the churches. In fact, we understand that that message, that this message for the seven churches is for all of the churches even to this day, even the one nestled here in 4400 Northwest Expressway. And so then there are these letters to the seven churches, and in the process of, of communicating Um, these letters to the seven churches, Jesus via John is able to say, in most cases, you're not getting it right. You're not acting as if the decisive battle has been won. Um, It's time for you to act like the body of Christ. Will there be anguish? Yes. Will there be pain and suffering at times? Yes. Um, But a majority of these churches are living beneath their privilege as people of the resurrection. There are a couple of churches that are doing well, and and Christ then through John praises them for doing well because they are being the body of Christ. Um, but a lot of them are not. And in fact, probably should be said that so much of the book of Revelation is a critique. Now, certainly it is a message of hope. Um, it is a message of hope. But that message of hope is at times punctuated by very sharp messages of critique that all have to do with the same thing. Um, They have to do with us living beneath our privilege as people of the resurrection, not taking full advantage of the victory won in Christ and in God raising Jesus from the dead. And so at the close of those, of the messages to the seven churches, there erupts a, a worship scene. Now there are several worship scenes through the book of Revelation. That's one of the ways that you can kind of map 
the book of Revelation is from worship scene to worship scene. And this was this one is a big one. It's two chapters long, actually, four and five. And this one's important because it seems to be something of a response to uh, all that's been said to these churches before. You aren't living up to, you aren't recognizing the grandeur of this resurrected one. Um, this resurrected one is the Lord of the universe, and boom, that's what explodes onto the scene in chapter four. You have this huge, huge, huge um, scene of worship that carries all the way into chapter five. And even though there is this huge scene of worship, there seems to be in chapter five um, a scroll that no one can open. And we believe that this scroll that no one can open is sort of the answer to the, the deepest questions that human beings have to this day. And, and probably the questions are something like this, why? Why do these things happen? Why is there pain and suffering? Why um, do we lose people to death in such agonizing, terrible sorts of ways? What is the meaning of life and suffering and all of this? Recognizing that there's a scroll that couldn't be opened, uh, John begins to weep. And John is consoled by another voice who says, don't cry because the lion of the king, let's see, the lion of the tribe of Judah is here and he will open that scroll. And so immediately you are coaxed into believing by the book of Revelation itself that some giant Aslan-esque figure is going to step into the clearing and just chew that scroll to pieces and tell us exactly what's in it. But what we get is this, instead of a lion, we get an always slaughtered lamb. So, there's this jarring, jolting moment when it seems to be that we are mocked. Our appetites are mocked. We do kind of want the lion. We, we want the lion to be our champion. We, we want the lion to be just big enough to fight for us and completely overcome our enemies. And if the enemies get bit and chewed up and swallowed in the process, so be it. That's what lions do. But what steps into the clearing is this bleeding, sacrificed, always being sacrificed lamb. And that's the creature that is able to tell us what life really means. So the the message there is, hard as it is to wrap our minds and our, our imaginations around, and it will take the rest of the book for us to see how it is that this lamb wins. But the message that is forecast for us in this moment is, there is meaning to all of this. There is truth in all of this. There is God in the midst of us. And the God is not the lion. It is the suffering, always being slaughtered lamb. In other words, the power in the lion's body and in the jaws of the lion is not what moves us forward, is not what accomplishes the dream of God. It is suffering love that accomplishes the dream of God. And all of creation knows it. And now we're up to verse 11. All of creation knows it. And so all of creation now joins in this huge chorus because now creation knit together as God has seen fit from day one recognizes creation seems to know 
that the Lord of the entire creation, the Lord of the universe, is this one who recognizes and embodies this perfect sense of suffering love. And so all of creation just erupts in worship. And so you have the angels and you have the elders and all of the living creatures. Uh, They numbered myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands and they sing And then, verse 13, then I heard every creature in heaven, so this is creation-wide. This is as expansive as this language can be. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing um, to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures line in in verse 14 is interesting, and there are lots of different theories as to the identity of these four creatures. And I just want to give you one of these theories, which is interesting to me. They show up in chapter four, actually. Um, Various symbols, a lion, the face of a man, an eagle, these kinds of things. And and there is some thought, there's at least, uh, there are one or two commentators that I read at least, and probably more that, I, that I've not discovered yet, who believe that these are, for lack of a better term, sort of zodiac symbols that would have been popular or prevalent uh, in the Babylonian culture. So throughout the book of Revelation, the, the Babylonian culture, the Babylonian kingdom of old, of the of the Old Testament, the one that routed Jerusalem and carried people off into Babylonian captivity, even more than the Egyptians, the Babylonians came to be sort of understood as the opposite of God, the kingdom of Babylon, the opposite of the kingdom of God. And so that was, the Babylonians were always the ultimate boogeyman where, the, where, where faith is concerned and where the people of God are concerned. Mm-hmm. There are some people who believe that these are four Babylonian symbols, and even our enemies understand that this God is the Lord of the universe. Wow. So these four creatures here at the end are saying amen. As In other words, it's true. It's all true. And everybody seems to fall to their faces to worship. So, so much of the book of Revelation has to do with worship and asks us to ask ourselves and God, for that matter, very important questions about worship. Like, what does worship do? What, what is accomplished when we worship? Well, a lot happens when we worship. Um, in this passage of scripture, and then in the next one I'm going to preach from in Revelation 7, um, one of the things that happens is we, when we worship, we sort of get in line with all of creation that already understands mm-hmm. that this is the essence of life and the very embodiment of truth, that suffering love is how we get from here to there. And suffering love is, is the means, not only the means uh, whereby the universe was, was knit together, it is the fuel uh, that spins the, the universe, and it is the perfect... Um, be careful how I use that word, but it it is the reliable and trustworthy uh, picture of God uh, and the purposes and the heartbeat of God. So worship gets us in in step with the the rest of creation. Um, 
And since that's the case, then what worship does is it renovates. So worship rehabilitates. So when we are out of step, then uh, we are in need of something to bring us back in line. When, when we are decimated because we have made the terrible decision, and this comes up time and again in the book of Revelation, when we worship the wrong things or the wrong God or the wrong gods, bad things happen, not just to me, the individual worshiper who is worshiping the wrong one or the wrong things, but bad things happen around me. I, I am not in step with the universe that God created, and I am doing damage to the environment somehow around me. So what, so what are some of these other gods or wrong gods? Well, okay, so way back when, the target was drawn around the Roman Empire. And the terminology of the Babylonians would have been used in reference to the Roman Empire. Um, and so what we can say right off the top is because the Roman Empire so often described itself as the ultimate guarantor of life and health and peace, uh, the Roman Empire and the Caesars positioned and postured themselves to be competitor gods. Um, that's part of the reason they just could not tolerate this Jesus character and, or any of these followers. Well, there's only one God and it's the Caesars. And I mean, there's only, there's only one faith system and it's the worship of the Caesars. And um, in fact, a lot of the language that we have that results in our referring to Jesus as the son of God is itself a critique of how often the Romans used to refer to the Caesars as the sons of God. Mm, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And even Prince of Peace because the, the Romans... Uh, we're selling that they could bring peace on earth, uh, the Pax Romana. We can end all wars by winning them. We will overpower all Which of our is enemies. Kind of the lion imagery. That, at that is point. It is, and Rome was posturing itself quite willingly as the ultimate lion, and uh, along comes this very different kind of king, and a, and a very different kind of kingdom, who would actually win but not on the terms that the lion would seem to define. Um, so, so what worship does, uh, it, it brings us back into step with, with God's purpose and plan and God's creation. But worship also is a means of recovery and, and rehabilitation and renovation. When we worship poorly and worship the wrong things or the wrong person, we do damage. And so for the purposes of that little uh, homolite I did for the kids that day, I brought out a silver platter that had been just sitting in a friend's house for a long time. And over a period of time, it had, it had gotten very, very tarnished. So this once ornate and uh, beautiful silver platter was now, for all intents and purposes, gray and black. And because it was so gray and black, there was no way to see one's reflection in it. And so what I said to the kids was this, like, man, sometimes we have this strange way. Nowadays, it's not the Roman Empire. It might be money. People worship money. And like Scripture says, you kind of become what you worship. And I told the kids, it's not that you're going to become a dollar bill, but you're going to become greedy. Um, if you worship power, it's not that you're going to necessarily become a bullet or a muscle, but you might become a bully. Um, 
you worship the wrong voices or the wrong people, you can become uh, tarnished in different sorts of ways and cover up that which is so beautiful about each of us and all of us as we are all, each of us and all of us, created in God's image, created to fit in this created order, created to worship this God, um, our God. But when we worship poorly and worship wrongly, we seem to kind of cover up that that image of God that has been imprinted on us somehow or, or with which and in which we have been made. We cover it up. It's all tarnished. And we, like that silver platter, are grayed. And, and finally, we kind of turn black ourselves. <laughs> but we are also granted, like we've already been saying, <clears throat> resources in the resurrection. Um, And when we worship the always being slaughtered lamb that overcame everything, including death, when we recover our identity as not just a believer, but as the people of God, persons of God that belong in what we now call the body of Christ, um, it starts to rehabilitate and it starts to remove some of that tarnish a little bit at a time. So I, I took that, I took that stained silver platter, and I had a little bit of, a little bit of uh, silver cleaner with me, and I had, uh, you know, a, a rag, and I and I just rubbed a small spot in the middle, and sure enough, it 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 took on a shine, pretty quickly, shiny enough that they could see their own reflections right up front. I said, yeah, that's kind of what happens. And we recover our ability to reflect uh, our God to others and anyone who might be paying attention to the world, paying attention. When we worship well, um, we are ourselves, each of us and all of us, rehabilitated, renovated, and we recover that image of God. And by the way, in a classic historical sort of way, that's how we Wesleyans have understood sanctification. The means whereby sanctification is the means whereby the image of God is, is revealed or restored in our lives. And so that's what we're trying to do, much like we see Jesus doing uh, in the book of Revelation. Jesus shows up and says, hey, we have what we need to make the difference that we need to make and to renovate and restore and recover creation, each of us and all of us, each of us to be restored, but then each of us also having opportunity to partner in the restoration renovation process. Once we get to the very end, and we'll spend actually three weeks in chapters 21 and 22, you have a very full, broad, wide picture of what a restored and renovated creation might look like, what it could look like. Um, But between now and then, again, given the testimony of the book of of Revelation, there's still some struggle. There's still going to be temptation. There's still going to be uh, anguish, many, multiple opportunities to suffer love. But none of that's wasted. Uh, None of that's wasted, and that's what we'll get into this next week. Something happens when we suffer well, when we we worship well. And and worship, 
as I hope we know by now, is not contained to the sanctuary and not to just the, the singing part of the service. But I can live my life as a life of worship or not. And suffering may be a part of that, but God and God's creative imagination and God's will can take even good suffering and make it fuel for what it is that God's trying to do in the world and bring some sense of renovation to the world and rehabilitation to the world as God through us and with us moves everything toward Revelation 21 and 22, a little bit at a time, painful moment by painful moment, um, victory by victory, a little bit at a time toward God's full realization when God finishes what God started. Boy, that was a long sentence. That was all one sentence. Wow, that was great. Wow. <laughs> one whole sentence. No, yeah. Lots. No periods in there. Yeah, yeah. It's just one sentence. Well, Pastor John, I really appreciate you sitting down in my office yeah. and doing this. This is kind of fun. fun. Yeah. I know. Uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Maybe we'll take questions. Maybe we'll talk about other stuff. Who knows? But I would love that. That would we, be fun. We should. Uh, so, hey, podcast world, if you have questions that you want us to answer, uh, we'd love to. we'd love to hear them. Uh, or if anything else you want us to talk about, let us know. Rate and review us on iTunes. All of, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Never done this podcast thing before, but they usually say that. Yeah. So, uh, do you uh, you have any uh, final words as we as we cut off this podcast and we go home and do whatever? Uh, so, if people do have questions or comments, they can send them to info at okcfirst.com. Yeah. Um, and we'll we will respond to any questions or, or comments. Um, I guess I would, I guess I would say this just in, in closing. I think sometimes around here, we say it like this. We still as Christians have a tendency to live in the shadow of the cross and not so much in the light of the resurrection. What I mean is we are meant for more than just to be found innocent of our sins, just living in the shadow of the cross. What if in the victory of the resurrection, in which we can actually share, that's part of what's being communicated in baptism, what if we can renovate the world? Our own lives included, our own hearts and minds included, our own households included, but what if, what if people actually believed what the resurrected Jesus was trying to say to the churches? All of them. What if we actually believed that an entire city could be renovated. Thank you.